Welcome to the Coppreneur Path Podcast. Welcome to the show that is all about the path from cop to coppreneur. I'm your host, Adam Wills. With this podcast, I'm going to help equip you for your own post-law enforcement entrepreneurial journey with lessons learned from my experience growing a successful post-Leo business. You'll also get to hear from fellow coppreneurs and experts in business and marketing whose advice will give you an edge against the competition. You are in the right place. So let's get after it. Welcome back to the Coppreneur Path Podcast. Today, I have Ryan Schoenfeld from Hive Watch with me today. Ryan, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great. Good to see you, Adam. Yeah, it's good to see you too. Now, we we connected a little while back. You attended one of the LEO to CEO community open houses, a happy hour that we did. And uh, man, we just kind of connected in that, that meeting and you told me a little bit about your business. I became quite intrigued by what you were doing and asked you if you'd come on the podcast to talk about it because I think, uh, well, not I think, I know that what we're going to cover today is something we haven't talked about at all yet on this podcast as it relates to how you start and grow a post-law enforcement business. So this is a very specific topic and detail we're going to cover today. So man, it's good to have you on. Looking forward to chatting. You can see I'm being a little uh, descript with everybody. I'm not telling them exactly what we're going to talk about yet. No, that's cool. <laughs> and, and and I'm happy to be here. I think, you know, helping, helping other people transition is something I, I care a lot about. It was an interesting path for me, both while I was in law enforcement and, and as I came out and, and Hivewatch really, you know, we can get into it, but is is actually the third company that I started since uh, since leaving law enforcement. So, Okay. Yeah. I knew about, you have uh, RAS Security Group as well. I knew about that, which, you know, we weren't going to, we're not going to talk a ton about today because really our focus is on Hivewatch, but I'd love to hear some of the things that you learned in your transition, what we'll get to. But I first I want to talk about Hivewatch because at the time that this show airs, we're a little uncertain about the timing. We think that Hivewatch will have been officially announced, but maybe not. Maybe it's still a week or two away yet. And well, everybody not, you're here just gonna is be getting breaking news. Notes. So there you go. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so so tell us uh, tell us about Hivewatch. What is it? What do you guys do? Yeah, so Hivewatch is a security software company, and the platform itself is is essentially the the operating system for organizations to orchestrate their entire physical security programs and everything from access control and video, which is kind of the most basic things that companies deal with from a corporate security perspective, all the way up through intelligence and social media monitoring and uh, employee travel, executive protection. We've found, I've found in in my career to date that security programs are plagued with noise. And what noise means is it can be false alarms at its most basic level, but it's also intelligence data that may not be meaningful or impactful or uh, what everybody cares about actionable. And so at the basic level, Hivewatch is let's get the most actionable intelligence to the people that need it. And then let's also help them facilitate their response and, and how they action those events to the most successful resolution. Because at the end of the day, we're about helping organizations protect their most important asset, which is their people. I tell you, you know, the elimination of that noise in and of itself, I think, is is a valuable pursuit. 
for for corporate security. And I don't know a whole lot about corporate security, but but here's what I do know. So in my time in law enforcement, I spent I spent several years on a narcotics task force yep. and worked on a number of federal level uh, narcotics and firearms trafficking cases. And working confidential informants is the same thing. You get a bunch of noise, right? As you're out speaking to different people, making contacts with, you get all kinds of different information. And a lot of it is garbage because they're yep. just trying to get you off their back, right? And so you have to come up with a way to filter out that garbage. And I, and I look at this as being the same concept. If you can filter out that noise, you can be more effective at what you do. Is that right? hundred percent. So imagine, you know, in, in, in your example, you're out there, you're talking to your CIs and you're getting all this data. Now imagine a system behind the scene that's taking in all of that disparate information and trying to correlate as much as possible in what we call multi-sensor resolution. So you've got different sensor types, or in your case, different data inputs, and you're getting all of this information and the system is saying, okay, this data point matches this data point, so we can actually validate it because of these reasons. Now I'm going to present this forward as actionable versus these things don't really line up. So we're not necessarily going to discard it. Uh, we're going to log it and it's going to be uh, available for your like investigative queries, but it also doesn't need to go directly in front of the detective right now because it's not actionable. Right. So is the system then completely eliminating human intervention in some of these cases, or is it really kind of categorizing all of this stuff in a way that says this is actionable now and this stuff is things you should look at as potential information to eliminate? Yeah. So we absolutely do not see ourselves as a people eliminator. I have a very firm belief that there's always a need for people in the loop in the nature of, of what we do. We see ourselves as a people optimizer. And what that means is there's AI and machine learning can only take you so far, right? But those platforms don't understand uh, nuance and context that, that humans do. And so our real mission is saying, okay, let's let the system reduce out the stuff that doesn't require a human so that we can put the stuff that a human needs to make a decision about in front of them in the most streamlined way, in the way that's most actionable and gets the quickest result and at, at the end of the day, the most positive outcome. So offer us an example then of uh, a situation for a corporate security client and how this is actually deployed and used. So uh, most basic use cases, let's say access control system, and this is a feature of HiveWatch. It's not our, our overall value proposition, but one of the largest drivers of noise in any corporate security operations center is access control events. And it's things like a door forced. What door forced means on an access control system is simply that you know there's a magnet that sits on the door and it, it's a dumb sensor. And it essentially says, the magnets have broken contact, the door must be open. The system doesn't know if somebody used a key to bypass the card reader. They don't know if a bad person kicked the door down. The system just knows that the magnet broke contact. In a, a corporate control center environment, you can get hundreds and thousands of these alarms per month because, again, you're dealing with dumb analog sensors and wind in the hallway can make a, a door uh, jiggle a little bit to trigger a false alarm. You can have a short and cabling or just a system problem that's generating these constant false alarms. Through the use of multi-sensor resolution, you can actually say, okay, well, let's look at multiple data points. I have a camera looking at that door. Did the camera actually detect a person come through the doorway? If nobody came through the door, it's not necessarily as high value of uh, an event as if somebody did come through. And so yeah, it's, it's starting to prioritize and make decisions like that. 
Okay. And I, would I be correct to assume there's an opportunity here then for you in the correction space as well? Or is that kind of something completely different? Um, I mean, I think there's, we're pretty vertical agnostic. Government right now is not our focus right now. It's more corporate, higher ed is interesting, healthcare. But I think it's, it's certainly applicable. Corrections has a lot of the same problems that they do from yeah. a system inefficiency perspective. Then you got to jump through all the proposal hoops and all the government funding issues. So I yeah, get private that. sector is a lot more fun. Yeah, 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 <laughs> absolutely. I totally understand that concept. And so uh, you mentioned the social media piece too, and I'm a little curious about that. I assume the social media monitoring you're doing is for two purposes. And that would be, again, this is just my assumption. One is maybe monitoring potential conversations on social media or posts that may relate to the infrastructure you're protecting and and any threat that may be imminent against it. And two, maybe monitoring employees for any sort of disgruntled uh, sort of post that might indicate a an issue with espionage, if you will. Yeah. So in, in the corporate world, we, we like to be very clear in our messaging around social media monitoring, right? It's not about spying on your employees. It's not about, you know, working against their first amendment rights or anything like that. It's about protecting uh, the organization and protecting its people. And so we're looking for threats against the business and that can be physical threats. It can be electronic threats. A lot of it is insider threat uh, detection, you know, similar to uh, organizations that comb emails and look for a threatening language for insider threat programs. So it's, it's very similar to that. Uh, it also ties to companies' executive protection programs. What are people saying about the executives? Or in the case of a, a public corporation, there's a, a board of directors meeting and maybe they made a decision that's not popular. It's good for them to have an understanding not only of like how people are feeling about what's happening in that corporation, but once somebody makes a threat, now the team's responsible for actually actioning that threat, both in terms of working with law enforcement, but also in terms of protecting their their asset, their person. Got it. W- one last question here real quick, and then I want to kind of move on to the meat and potatoes here of, of this episode. What is it that makes you different, I guess, than some of your competitors? Because I know there's other... There's other uh, competitors, there's other companies in this same space. So what is it that makes you guys different at Hivewatch? You know, I think from a competitive landscape perspective, our biggest competition is not an individual product. It's it's a legacy product category called a PSIM. And for 15 plus years, it's the way the security industry has tried to address bringing information from disparate platforms that historically don't talk to each other. Hivewatch certainly accomplishes that piece of the puzzle but it does it in a way that's much more user-friendly and effective. And then there's other products that do just noise reduction and they do tailgate detection on access control systems. For us and, and the value proposition to our customers is we are a program level orchestration software. We are not focused on one particular use case. We help organizations build and scale their overall security program and actually run that program. And that's really our core differentiator. Okay. Awesome. Well, like I said, meat and potatoes here. So the, uh, the reason I really wanted you to come on the podcast was because you started Hivewatch and Hivewatch now has grown out of these other businesses like you talked about, right? Or, or has grown independently on its own to a point where you are now venture backed. 
And that is a topic we haven't talked about on the show yet is, you know, we talk about the transition out of law enforcement into um, growing your own business. But most of the time, most copreneurs are starting off their own business with their own funding. Venture backing is kind of this mysterious, ominous idea that that maybe scares people a little bit, maybe makes them a little bit nervous. And so I wanted you to come on to be able to speak to what made you go that route and what you've learned along the way and advice that you can share with the rest of our audience on how they might be able to determine is creating a venture backed business right for them? If so, how do they do it? Or how do they evaluate when it might be the right time? So in order for us to really get into that though, I think we need to first understand your transition out of law enforcement into the business world and what that looked like and how you got to this point of creating a venture backed business. Yeah, it, it certainly wasn't a direct move from being a cop to, to being a tech CEO with, with venture backing. I'd say I had somewhat of a more traditional uh, move from law enforcement. I The thing that wasn't traditional maybe is while I was a police officer, I was also getting my master's at night in IT system design and development Okay, and then started studying and getting into computer crimes investigations, became an instructor for the diplomatic security service, training some of our allied countries in computer crimes and investigations. That was kind of my first taste of the private sector, right? It was still law enforcement, but it was a consultant gig. And I, I got to see, hey, this private sector thing's not so bad. And, and actually, by the way, you can make pretty good money doing it. Yeah. Um, and it's pretty fun. And some opportunities came up to do that more full time, but I really wasn't ready to hang up my my police hat yet, right? It was still a passion of mine. Um, I wanted to be a cop since I was a little kid. You know, I, when I finished college, I went right to the police academy, which I, I'm not from a, a family of police. I'm the first one in my family. I have more like doctors and lawyers and things like that. And so I don't think it was very clear to them what I was doing. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think I've always had a lot of support there, though. So finished my master's, started doing the consulting stuff. And then uh, I was in the DC area. My wife, who's an LA native, uh, said, you know, let's let's move to, to LA. And uh, it's really around the time that we were going to start a family as well. And so started weighing the uh, number one, LA is insane um, in terms of crime and violence. And there was some safety considerations and- about, you know, and mentally, yeah. <laughs> in, in, in every way possible. Um, you know, so it was like, do I want to be a cop in LA? And my wife's answer was no. My answer was not really, but I'm also not ready to fully hang it up yet. And I was able to find a good balance of both, right? I, I got a job with Securitas, yeah. which is one of the biggest guarding companies in the world. Um, but I was also able to get on with a, a police department here as a reserve officer. And so I was able to still, you know, be a, a weekend warrior or whatever and um, get, get my police fixed, but also have uh, a corporate job. And I really hated my first job. I mean, I was absolutely miserable. But I will say I learned more in that job than probably any job I've ever had up until now, because as a, a branch manager at Securitas, I learned about human resources and, and managing employees, both union yeah. and non-union. I learned about managing a profit and loss statement. And I actually remember my first call with, with the controller and they were talking about the P&L and I was trying to Google it. I had no clue what the hell a P&L was. <laughs> um, you nice. know, so just huge learning experience. I didn't like the job, but it was immensely helpful. And then I went in-house to a Fortune 500 Fox Entertainment first managed global investigations. And then I ran 
global security technology, really loved working for Fox. It was a fantastic company, learned an immense amount. I had a team reporting to me, global responsibility, got to travel. But it was one of those things in the back of my head where I just kind of knew that I wasn't going to get to the point in my career and where I wanted to be in terms of lifestyle and financial stability and and things like that if I couldn't manage my own destiny. And so yeah. it's really, I had, you know, my, my should or get off the pot moment um, and quit my job and started a uh, consulting company. Um, yeah. Started doing I'm security glad you consulting. mentioned that though. Yeah. Because we, we've talked about that on this show a number of times, right? Because I run into guys and gals all the time that are like, yeah, I've just got five more years or 10 more years to go until I can get my retirement. And I tell them, you know what? If you have an idea and you know it's a good idea, go for it, right? Because There's this never idea, a good time. no, and this idea of of a retirement that you're holding out for and this pension, most of the time, I, with the instability of things uh, right now, anyway, you don't know that that's actually going to be there for one, and two, with inflation, you're lucky if that pays for your medical bills when you're retired. And so, you know, I, I believe that if you have if you have the prowess and the ability and the ingenuity and a good idea you can easily make up for that would-be retirement in in short order by, by starting 100%. your own business. Yeah. And the funny thing is, like the math is actually not complicated. It took no. an hour to sit there and say, okay, you know, even if I charged a pretty mediocre consulting rate and I had I got my PI license and I'm like, okay, what's the industry rate that people are charging for these things? I'm like, I actually have to work very little in terms of billable hours to make just the same amount I'm making in my corporate job. Mm-hmm. So if I actually work like a reasonable number of hours, I'm actually substantially increasing even after taxes and everything, my my take-home pay. And so it just got to the point where I was like, you know, own own your destiny and just go do it. And to the point that there's never a good time, the day before I quit is when, you know, my wife and I learned that she was pregnant with our second child. So oh, um, yeah. there's probably no riskier time ever to, <laughs> to quit a job. But, uh, you know, to the point that there's just, I don't think there's ever the right time to do something like that. You just got to do it. Right. You just got to do it. Yeah. My favorite acronym in business and the one that I need reminded of most is KISS. Keep it simple, stupid. The obvious accusation here is that needlessly overcomplicating things in your business is just plain dumb. And I couldn't agree more. I can't even begin to tell you how much time, money, and energy I've wasted doing things that just created unnecessary complication. It's easy for us as business owners to create complication and confusion by using every new piece of software we can find and then having to figure out how to use them all or creating complex pricing packages that our customers struggle to understand, offering too many products or services to begin with, or thinking we have to try every high-speed, low-drag marketing tactic we hear about on the internet. But what I continue to find over and over again is that simplicity is the secret to scale. When you keep things as simple as possible, they are easier to understand and easier to replicate. All of this translates into more time and more money for you and your business. So keep it simple, stupid, and quit overthinking things. Execute on the things that create the greatest impact and put everything else aside. The Business Brief is sponsored by leo2ceo.com. Everything you need to grow your post-law enforcement business.
So how did you end up then with Hive Watch and looking for venture funding, venture backing? It's, it's Yeah, it's been an evolution. So did the consulting gig. I found a really good niche with uh, hyper growth tech companies that were venture funded themselves. And our clients were raising hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars sometimes in venture funding and scaling from a couple hundred people to thousands of people and becoming global organizations. And I had this realization working with these different companies that they all had the same problem with inefficiencies in their security program. And uh, it was the same problem that I had before I left my job at Fox. And that's really kind of where we started coming up with the idea of, of, of Hivewatch. One of the programs I worked on with uh, a client where they had a huge theft issue and we were able to work with the data science team and use data from their product and operationalize it with law enforcement all around the country to execute search warrants all over the U.S. and get a bunch of their stuff back, millions of dollars of stuff. And there was a realization, hey, the way we just did that for this customer is actually helping solve the problem with uh, the information overload in corporate security. And so we went out and, um, you know, I, I started building a team. I funded the company myself for the, the first bit to go out and say, hey, are, will customers pay for this? Is there interest and demand in the market? And then we went to some friends and family and said, hey, do you want to invest in, in this company? And got a few people to write checks. You know, I think we raised a, a few hundred thousand dollars at that point from friends and family. We got our first corporate investor. And then the market just seemed to be getting really excited about it. So we started going to VCs. And it was a rough go. You know, the, the VCs did not know or understand the physical security market for the most part. We got a hell of a lot of no's. You know, at that time we were trying to raise a couple million dollars, which in the tech world is not a lot of money, but to somebody coming out of law enforcement, that's a lot of money. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we ended up with fantastic investors. We raised more than, than we were anticipating. And that was in November of last year. Um, and the demand for what we're building has been off the charts. We're back in front of investors again right now, raising additional capital. Hopefully there'll be some good announcements about that by the time, by the time this airs. But, you know, I'll say that raising venture funding is, is not for everybody. You know, you have to come to grips with the fact that number one, you're selling a piece of your company. Yeah. Um, number two, you're no longer the sole decision maker. You have a board that you are responsible and that you report to. You know, I don't, I don't get to make decisions about my, my salary, my income. You know, I have to get approved and I have a great board, but like those things that are part of starting your own company and having total control of everything, you know, if you're not willing and ready to give some of that up, then being venture backed is probably not for you. I think um, you hit the nail on the head there because I think that's probably the big reason why this isn't common among copreneurs because I could say this for me, at least being, being type a, as most of us are, we, we want to be in control. <laughs> Correct. It's about control. We want to be in control of things. And, and it feels uncomfortable to let go of that control. You know, I, I, I would think it'd be a little bit scary to, to give up uh, a portion of my company without feeling like I'm in a position where I absolutely need to take this step in order to grow. If I, if I knew that I had to take that step, 
in order to to take my business to the next level, then you know I think I could I could maybe relent. But but as it stands right now, my business is growing uh, on its own. I'm like nah, I don't want to give up any part of my company. I don't want to owe anybody any money, whether it's an equity share or a loan. Either way, I'm 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 hesitant, and I guess most probably are. Well, I think there's there's two other things. One, most companies are not venture investable, right? You have to have a company that has the prospects of of crazy scale and unrealistic returns to your investors. That's what that's what VCs are investing in. You know, it, that's hard for service businesses and investigative and security businesses. You know, unless you have a software, software element, where it's at, yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Um, so that yep. that was a challenge. But I will say one of the places where I think my uh, law enforcement background probably served me the best and, and continues to serve me the best in this whole venture process is just experience with dealing with people, that sort of BS detector that you get in terms of people who are lying to you. Picking an investor is, it's a really big deal. You know, we, we joke that it's, it's a bigger deal than picking a spouse, right? You can divorce a spouse. You can't really divorce an investor. And you know, we are really fortunate. The people that, that we picked have been absolutely wonderful. We're fortunate that we got to pick that, you know, we didn't have to settle for anything. We also said no thank you to a lot of investors. You know, it's not just about who can write a big check. There's a lot of right. money out there on the market. There's a lot of people willing to to write checks. I don't know that there's people better than law enforcement in terms of cutting through the BS and really figuring out like, yeah. <laughs> who's telling the truth? Who's actually going to be your best partner? You know, everybody's there for you in the good times, but who's going to be there for you when when things get rough? Who's going to help you in the areas that that you're not an expert? I'd say that that was the biggest challenge, but also the place where where my law enforcement experience probably um was a leg up. Nice. That I mean that that's incredible to to point out cuz I've I've said it a number of times here too is that I think cops don't give themselves enough credit for the skills that they have and have earned in their law enforcement career and how they translate to business. I think most of us get stuck in this box of, well, I can only do, you know, this thing that's directly related to what I did in law enforcement. And, and there really is just so much more to that. hundred percent. You know, the, the, the skills are directly transferable. I think, you know, the military people have, have the same challenge, you know, that they have incredible skills coming out of the military. The, the private sector has not done a good job yeah. of yeah. figuring out, you know, what that skill translates to, but I promise it does translate. And what, you know, our veterans and our law enforcement and stuff need help with is actually helping translate that for the employers. Cause it's not that they're not qualified. It's just yeah. that there's a mismatch of language. So I'm, I'm curious how, first of all, how do you know, like, how do you identify as a business owner in your perspective? What is the, when is it the right time? When is it the right time to consider looking at investors and how do you find those investors? Do you hire somebody to help you look for those investors or is there some sort of like dating platform for investors and, <laughs> and business owners? <laughs> Maybe that's your big idea here, Adam. Okay, I, I, hey, I just copyrighted that everybody. Nobody can yeah, do that. You now. might want to lock yeah. that one down. Yeah. Um, you know, t- Tinder for investors. That's a good one. Yeah. Tinder. That's um, what I was trying to come up with. And I couldn't come up with the name. Yep. T- <laughs> Tinder for investors and business owners. <laughs> you know, I, I'll say that um, I've done it, but I'm certainly not an expert at it. 
I don't know. I think the right time to find an investor is when your business is at this inflection point of the market has recognized that what it is that you have is something that a lot more people want and need and yeah. your ability to get it to them, deliver it to that many of that many people as quickly as they want it is out of your control and the reason it's out of your control is financial. Right? You need to grow your team, you need to yeah. increase infrastructure. You know, I, I to me that's that's what we did and that's where we're at and when we took our our investors. I will say to be wary of there are a lot of companies that will try to sell you services and and charge you to to put you in front of investors and it's not to say that they're all bad but we didn't use any of those i think that the best way to get in front of people is to reach out to trusted folks and just ask for an introduction you know investors respond the best when you're being introduced it's a warm introduction and it shouldn't cost you money to to get in front of investors people who charge to pitch or who charge for for those things I, I, I don't want to say it's unethical, but I certainly don't think it's necessary. Biggest lesson learned during this process for you, what would that be? Goes back to law enforcement experience. You develop a great spidey sense and a great understanding of uh, a great gut, right? And every time that I haven't listened to my gut, uh, whether it's about a uh, talent hire or a big decision. It, it, it's always been a regret. You know, trust, trust your instincts. That's good advice. Excellent, excellent advice. I, I can tell you the number of times where even if it's just been something like buying a car or, you know, a house or, you know, whatever, where I've had this gut feeling about either the salesperson or the uh, realtor or the vehicle or the house itself. And I didn't trust it. And I've, 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 uh, regretted some of those decisions, you know? And so but, I think you're right. And we once do, you make the decision though, sense. yeah. And once you make the decision, you've made it right. Keep running. Yeah. Don't look back because there's always regret. There's always hindsight, but like the decision's made. So just go with it and figure out how to make it work. Yep. Move, move forward either way. And, you know, I actually got a message from one of the members of our LEO to CEO community today because he had listened to my prior podcast here just a few episodes ago with Scott Savage and he said, you know what? This was an awesome podcast. I'm so glad that you guys pointed out these things. And they were the top three mistakes to avoid making in, in starting or growing your business. And he said, I wish this, this had come out several months ago, though, because I've already made some of those mistakes. And I said, well, you know what? Don't worry about it, brother. Like, I've made a lot of mistakes, too, and I'm still running a successful business. The reality is in, in business, there are no winners and losers. There are only learners and quitters. That's it. You either, you either learn from the mistakes or you just decide to give up. I was going to say mistakes can cost money, but, um, you know, I, I think I've learned more from those than, than anything else. So, you know, anybody that's trying to grow a business and not make any mistakes, I think is probably a little foolish. Yeah. Agreed. Well, I assume Ryan, I'm going out on a limb here and putting words in your mouth, but I imagine, uh, you, you are, are open and willing to, talk with any other fellow copernewers that might be interested in picking your brain a bit about uh, venture backing in that process and your your other lessons learned. So why don't you let everybody know where do they get a hold of you at? How do they find you? Yeah, so absolutely happy to to help however I can, both for uh, LEO, but also uh, veterans. LinkedIn is, is probably the best way to catch me. And uh, 
I'm just Ryan Schoenfeld, uh, S-C-H-O-N-F-E-L-D. Awesome. Well, we will put uh, links in the podcast episode page for this episode. You'll have links to his social media profiles and Hivewatch's website, uh, and you'll be able to contact him there. But uh, Ryan, thanks for being on the show, man. This is awesome. Very unique topic uh, for us to talk about today. Yeah, pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for sticking around till the end of the show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review at leo2ceo.com forward slash podcast dash review or in your preferred podcast listening app. I would love to hear your feedback and it will also help other copreneurs like yourself find the show. Be sure to check out the show notes for this episode. Just go to leo2ceo.com, click on podcast and search this episode number and you'll find all the links, descriptions and resources we talked about. And if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe so you'll be notified when the next episode is live. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch you guys on the next episode.